Good morning, church. I am so excited to be here with you today uh, because I have the privilege to teach on a conviction that defines who we are as a body of Christ. So go ahead and join me if you would. Please open up your Bibles to 2 Timothy. We're going to spend most of our time this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, for the past month, Pastor Matt has been leading us through this series called Grace Forward, and we talked about growing in maturity in faith, becoming more like Christ in all of life, uh, focusing on, on growth in body and soul and spirit. Uh, we discussed our philosophy of ministry, the importance, the, the critical value of having and, and being a part of a Christ-minded group. And Grace, I am, I'm telling you, if you've been listening and, and watching and, and paying attention this past month, uh, if, if we would embrace this, if we would get in shape, as Matt has talked about, in body, soul, spirit, it'll change our lives. It'll change our lives, not just as individuals, but who we are as a church. And last Sunday, Matt mentioned that this year we're going to be taking a, a few specific intentional weeks to look at the core, the very heart of grace and who we are, because there are convictions that guide us. For us as a church, as believers, there are things that matter most. What's our foundation? And so today, I am very excited because we're going to look at one of these convictions. So let's journey together now to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Who is Grace Covenant Church? What is a conviction that defines us? Starting in verse 14. Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Because you know from those whom you learned it, how from infancy you've known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the person of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Grace Covenant Church is the word of God. It's the Bible. Here at Grace, we will preach the word, we will teach the scriptures. That's who we are. And this passage, it defi defines, it reveals so much to us about God's word. And so today, we're going to study three truths about the Bible. Three truths about scripture and our conviction about what this book is. Three truths about God's word. And the first, it's very clear from this passage. The Bible is God-breathed. The scriptures are breathed out by God. Now, the original language of 2 Timothy, the language that this was first written in, was Greek. And the Greek word here says that all scripture, every scripture, is theonoustos. Theonoustos. Theos, it's the root word, God. Pneuma, the root word, breath. So the author is clear in this description that the Bible is exhaled out by God. God breathed. And so the point is, this is not a human book. It was written by human beings, yes, as they were directed, as they were moved by God. So each book of the Bible, it reflects the human author's personality, their vocabulary, their cultural context, their upbringing, even their writing style. 
but the act of writing itself was stirred by God. And you see this throughout the scriptures. There are over 3,000 times that the biblical authors use the phrase, the Lord says. God says. The prophet Jeremiah tells us about his own writing that God says to him, I, God, I have put my words in your mouth. The Bible is God-breathed, and this means that the Bible is unique. It's uniquely trustworthy and authoritative. Because God is trustworthy, his word to us is trustworthy. Because God is authoritative, then his word to us is as well. And so the Bible, it's this library of 66 books. There's the Old Testament originally written in Hebrew. There's the New Testament written in Greek. There are historical books and biographies. There's poetry and there are songs. There are books written by poor farmers and and fishermen, and there are books written by kings. But our first and essential truth of the scriptures is that the entire thing, the entire book, the Bible is God-breathed. God used human authors to write these books, and he was so intimately involved in that process that they wrote exactly what he wanted. One of the clearest expressions of this is written by one of the biblical authors and one of Jesus' disciples, a man named Peter. In the book of 2 Peter, he tells us, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by that prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, although they were human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Let's just pause there for a moment. And, And if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, you may have heard this passage before. You've, you've likely heard this truth before. I, I think a lot of us uh, get this. But if you're anything like me, I think it's, it's kind of easy to forget it. But this truth is so important. We cannot remind ourselves of this often enough, so please hear me, church. When we read the Bible, God speaks. The Bible, the scriptures are breathed out by God. And so when we thumb through the pages or or when we swipe through verses on our phones, when we read the word of God, when we hear the word of God being read, we are stepping into his presence. When we read the Bible, God speaks because the scriptures are God-breathed. Let's return to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and learn our second truth about the Bible. Again, all Scripture is God-breathed. It's profitable or beneficial or useful. It's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the person of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. The Bible is beneficial for teaching, rebuking, correction, for training in righteousness. And these things, they work together so that, so that the man of God, the woman of God, might be made more and more complete and equipped for the good work, for the life in Christ that God would have you live. That's our second truth this morning. The Bible equips us for life. 
The Bible equips us for life, and according to 2 Timothy chapter 3, there are four ways that Scripture does that. And they're all important, they're all crucial for our spiritual lives. First, the Bible teaches. To know God well, to know certain things about him, the Bible teaches us that. What we believe about God, it's the most important thing about any one of us. And, and so what we believe about his nature and what he's like, what, what, he, what does he want from us, whether or not he wants a relationship with us, that will affect every aspect of our lives, and the Bible teaches us what we need to know. It also rebukes. And I know that can sound like a negative word, but we need it. We need that. Because the Bible, it rebukes false thinking. It reprimands our misunderstandings of God. It rebukes lies from ourselves, lies from the enemy, lies from the world. The word of God rebukes falsehood. And then it corrects. And correct is an improvement or it's a replacement of that false thinking. And so when we accept the Bible's teaching and its rebuke, we find correction. And this is so important. Because so many of us, we've been taught things about God through word or, or action from other people. And those things have absolutely nothing to do with who God truly is. Because of some of our relationships or lack of a relationship with our earthly fathers, our view of our heavenly father is warped. It's distorted. Because of something a, a misguided camp counselor or, or a youth pastor said to you decades ago, you're still wrestling with whether or not God could ever really love you and forgive you. And for some of us, our theology, our ecclesiology, what we believe about God and about his church, it's so culturally affected and it needs correction. And God's word offers that. The Bible teaches, it rebukes, it corrects, and then the fourth, it trains us in righteousness. The Bible trains us in the right way to live. If you want to grow so that your life increasingly reflects the beauty and the glory of God, then you need the Bible. If you want to get in shape, like Matt has been talking about, the Bible is the gym, it's the treadmill, it's the elliptical, it's the weight room. The Bible equips us for life, and the purpose of God's Word in our lives is so that we would be made more and more complete enabled to do every good work, to live the life that God would have us live. And in Scripture, God gives us everything that we need to do that. And, and you can briefly look with me at, at how the Bible does this, an example of how it equips us for life. And we can do that by observing Jesus' life. In the New Testament, Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4, we read about Jesus, and he's in the wilderness, and he's being tempted by Satan. Jesus is facing temptation of his flesh, of, of his mind, of his convictions, who he is. It's this full court press, and Satan offers Jesus three distinct temptations, and they're all custom-made specifically for Jesus. And what does Jesus do each time that he's tempted? 
he responds the exact same way. It is written. It is written. God says, the Bible says, and then Jesus quotes the scriptures. He reflects on and then he recites three passages from the book of Deuteronomy. He looks the devil straight in the eye and he says, you're wrong. And here's what the Bible says. And Satan leaves. Satan leaves. That is the power of Scripture. That's the power of the Bible in Jesus' life. And grace, we have that power in our lives too. We have that power too. When we talk about growing and maturing in faith in Christ, becoming more and more like Christ in all of life, the Bible is how we do that. Because if God is really God, and if this book, if the Bible really is his word, then it has power and it has authority in our lives. That's why our, our statement of beliefs says the Bible and final authority in all matters about which they speak. Because there's power in this book. Tim Keller says it this way, if Christ is really God, then all conditions are gone. To know Jesus Christ is to say, Lord, anywhere your will touches my life, anywhere that your word speaks, I will say, Lord, obey. And there are no conditions anymore. If he's really God, he cannot just be a supplement. We have to come to him and say, okay, Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing to let you start a complete reordering of my life. In the youth ministry here at Grace, I tell our students, please do not ever simply take my word, something that I say to you as truth. Study the Bible for yourself. And I'll ask our students to, to raise your hands, and I'd like for all of you to do this with me too. If you would, please raise your hands. You at home as well, you can raise those up. And I'll ask our students, please, if you graduate from our youth ministry and you don't take anything else away, if you don't hear anything else that we teach you, please remember this, five words. What does the Bible say? That's the question. It's five words. What does the Bible say? You want to know about who God is? About who you were made to be? About what the world is like? About how you're supposed to live? How you're supposed to spend your time, your money, how to treat your body? how to live in community. Do you want to know how to be saved? You go to the book and you ask the question, what does the Bible say? Because the Bible is God-breathed and it equips us for life. And then our third truth about God's word today is that the Bible points us to Christ. The Bible points us to Jesus. Back to 2 Timothy 3.15. You've known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. It's the holy scriptures. They're able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You see, the Bible, it fits together. The holy scriptures, the entire Bible, it's a unified story that leads us to and it points us to Christ. Last year, 
2020, it was the year of the Bible here at Grace, and we read through the Bible as a church, Genesis to Revelation. And we taught from in the beginning all the way to the very last page of the book. And, and the purpose of that year of the Bible was so that we could see this truth, that the Bible is one unified, collected, collective story about the glory and the power and the redemptive work of Jesus. In, in fact, from the earliest days of the church, the Bible, the scriptures are how the apostles, how the earliest pastors, how the first missionaries, it's how they shared their faith and how they helped lead other people to faith in Christ. In Acts chapter 8, one of Jesus' disciples named Philip, he meets this man uh, from Ethiopia who's reading this passage in, in Isaiah, and he says to him, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And, and the man says, no, I, I don't. I need somebody to explain this to me. And so Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. The man puts his faith in Christ. He gets baptized in a creek alongside the road. The Apostle Paul, this prolific missionary, what was his method for sharing the gospel? How did he go and, and spread the good news to churches all around the ancient world? Acts 17 tells us that Paul went into the synagogues, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. How did Paul share the good news? He opened his Bible and he taught the Word of God. Another preacher, a guy named Apollos, he was very popular. People really enjoyed his teaching. And how did he preach? He went to God's Word. And he spent his time proving from the Scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. The Bible points us to Jesus. Because the Bible is the Word of God, and it's intended to bring us closer to our Creator and deeper in faith in Christ. And what that means is that ultimately, ultimately, first and foremost, the Bible is not a parenting or marriage book. It's not an advice column. It's not stories of business principles or tales to give us courage or hope. And now hear me out. The Bible can do all of those things. Yes, absolutely. Make you a better parent, businessman, friend. Yes, but of utmost importance, the Word of God points us to Jesus. A pastor named John Piper says this about the Bible, that in and through the Scriptures, we see the glory of God. What the apostles of Jesus saw face to face, they impart to us through their words. When I was in college, I had the easiest and coolest job on campus. I worked at the rock climbing gym, which means that I got to uh, sit around and climb and study and then occasionally, you know, keep people safe and give information and that kind of thing. And every Wednesday around 7 p.m., this guy named Kenny would come and climb. And, and Kenny and I became friends. Kenny was at UT getting his master's in biochemistry. His wife was getting her PhD in Latin. Really nice guy, incredibly intelligent. And so every Wednesday for a couple of hours, we're hanging out. And one day, Kenny asked me, 
hey, what are you going to do when you graduate? I told him I wanted to go to seminary and eventually work in a church. And as I say this, a, a frown crosses Kenny's face, and he says, man, if you're a Christian, you probably want me to become one too, huh? And I told him, yeah, I really would, and, and I'd actually been praying for, like, this kind of conversation. I was like, man, God, if you could just open a door, that'd be really cool. And Kenny says, well, I am a militant atheist, and what that means is as badly as you'd like for me to become a Christian, I would actually like for you to give up that belief. And so we talked for a while about our beliefs, and eventually Kenny and I made a deal. I would listen to him explain why he was an atheist, and I'd read any book that he wanted me to, as long as he did the same for me. So we shook hands on our little deal, said, see you next week. And throughout that week, I struggled with what I was going to give to Kenny. I, I thought about, okay, what are the books that, you know, really impacted my faith? I asked recommendations from friends. I Googled what books to give to an atheist. <laughs> so I started looking at my bookshelf, and I, I thought, okay, um, maybe something from C.S. Lewis, like a mere Christianity. That's, that's really good stuff. But oh, not everybody enjoys Lewis's writing, and, you know, he's kind of British. And um, how, about, how about this book from John Piper that I really like? And it's pretty dense, and he's pretty Calvinist, and okay, uh, how about Tim Keller? I really enjoy reading Tim Keller. The Reason for God had just come out. I was reading that with some friends, and, and I'm struggling with, with what to do, and finally I ask a roommate, hey, what book should I give to this guy? What would help him get to know God? And, and my roommate just looked at me and said, why don't you give him a Bible? And I thought, yeah. <laughs> so the next Wednesday, Kenny's back in the gym, and he's actually got two books for me. Uh, he hands me a copy of The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins and Why I'm Not a Christian by Bertrand Russell. And he asked me what uh, I wanted him to read, and so I hand Kenny a Bible. And joke's on him, right? He gave me two books. I gave him 66. <laughs> uh, but I told Kenny... I'd, I'd read the two books that he brought for me. I, I just wanted him to read the book of Mark and then choose any of the other three Gospels. And over the course of that semester, the two of us spent every Wednesday uh, climbing together and, and talking about Jesus, why I believed in Christ, why he didn't. And, and y'all, it was hard. Those were extremely difficult, challenging uh, conversations. And I had to remind myself over and over the power of Scripture. Because the Bible has more power than anything that I could say or, or try to think of to convince Kenny to become a believer. All I could really do, like Apollos or, or Paul or Philip, was open the Scriptures and let them point to Jesus. Because the Bible is God-breathed, it equips us for life, and it points us to Christ. This is a conviction that defines us. And so let's apply this to our lives. And, and the application of this is simple. Read the Bible. 
Read the Bible. Read the Bible for yourself. Please do not let me, don't let whoever is on the stage, don't let uh, authors or, or pastors that you read or, or listen to their podcast be the only person opening up God's word for you. Read the Bible. Study it. And I want to offer three ways in, in which we can do that. And the first is to read the Bible in humility. Read the Bible in humility. Ask, what does the Bible say? Not, what do I want the Bible to say? Let's study the Bible, understanding what we've talked about this morning, that it's God-breathed. Let's read the Bible knowing that it equips us for life and so humbly apply it to our own lives before we use it to speak into someone else's life. Let's study the scriptures not just as a, a window with which to look out at the world and, and judge the world, but as a mirror to remind ourselves of who we were, who we now are in Christ, and who we are, are striving to be, growing to be more and more like him. Let's read the Bible in humility. And secondly, let's read the Bible in context. In context, and that simply means what does the Bible mean, not what does it mean to me. Another way of saying this is when we ask what does the Bible say, we approach the Bible and we say, what is God saying here? And, and we do that by seeking to understand the author's intent for the audience, who they were writing to. So when you read an Old Testament prophet, who are they speaking to? What was the message and, and why? When you read a New Testament letter, who's writing it? To whom are they speaking or writing? And, and what's going on in that church or that city? When you study a passage, read what's going on before and, and after those verses. And how does that reading fit into the context of the rest of the chapter, and the rest of the book, and then the rest of the Bible? Reading in context means considering uh, history and, and grammar and, and genre and even harmony with the other scriptures. And humility and context is so important when we approach God's word. Uh, for some time early in my relationship with God, I, I used the Bible for what I wanted it to say. I played kind of this uh, Bible roulette where I would open the scriptures at random and, and put my finger down and expect God to have a message just for me from whatever I was pointing at. And, and so I would find a verse here or choose a verse there that served me. It was inspirational. I, I treated the book like a fortune cookie. I could just open up and find something and tack it up on a wall or scribble it down somewhere for, for me. Years ago, I interned for a youth ministry, and I was tasked with designing a t-shirt for the summer mission trip. And I wanted to include a Bible verse on the back of the shirt, and I wanted to make sure that, you know, it looked cool, and uh, it was catchy and, and original, because that's the most important thing. And so I did this Bible roulette thing. I opened it up, and I stumbled across this verse, and I was so excited. Look at the nations and watch. And be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. Wow, I thought, that's great. What a cool verse. This is going to be awesome. It's going to be the most popular shirt. All the kids are going to love it. 
And so we had them made. But you see, I hadn't bothered to read the book of Habakkuk. I hadn't even read the rest of chapter 1. Because if I had, I would have learned something really important about this passage. Because this verse, it's not an inspirational footnote about what God's going to do on a summer mission trip. If I'd read the Bible in context, if I just read chapter 1, I would have seen that the prophet Habakkuk is telling God's people that they're about to be conquered. Their homes are about to be burned to the ground. Their cities are about to be destroyed. And they themselves are about to be enslaved by the Babylonians because the people of God had perverted justice. They abandoned the law and they turned away from God. That is a much less inspirational t-shirt. Someone in our church, I'm wearing it. I'm wearing this shirt. Someone in our church finally enlightened me regarding my mistake. And I just remember thinking, if, if, I, if I'd missed this, if I'd been missing the message for so long, what else had, had I been missing? I was treating the Bible as a, a justification for me. These words were for me, they were about me, to make me feel good. I hadn't been reading the true intent of God's word because it's the story of God and his people. And so God is the central figure, not me. And so I began to read the Bible differently, learning to read in context. And once you become comfortable reading and living in the world of Scripture, this book and, and these stories that may at first seem foreign or strange, they become profound. They're profound insights into everyday life and what it means to follow Jesus. But we don't pick and choose what matters. We read the Bible for what it says. We read in humility and in context, and it's so important to also read the Bible in community. In community. You want to know one of the best ways to learn to read the Bible in context? You read it with other mature Christians. If you want to read it humbly, you find a group of people who are focused on Christ and who love Him and who care about you, and you read God's Word together. Matt has talked about this for four weeks. Get in a group. And, and listen, that group is a great place to read the Bible. You don't know what else to talk about. You don't have anything else in common. Talk about God's Word together. Remember, the, the purpose of being in a group, it's not just to have buddies to go through life with or, or people to talk parenting with. The purpose of a group and a community in a church is that we would become more like Jesus every single day at work, at home, in our marriages, in our kids' lives, with our friends, with our neighbors. And so let's read the Bible together in community. In the book of Acts, there's a group of people, and they're called the Berean Jews. And we're told about this community because they did something that set them apart. They did something very special. When they heard about Jesus, when they were first taught the gospel, they came together and they did this. 
the Berean Jews were of more noble character, for they received the message with great eagerness. They received the gospel with great eagerness, and then they examined the scriptures every day. They examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. What would Grace Covenant Church be like if, if everyone, everyone here, everyone at home, what if every day between Sundays we were entrenched in the Word of God? What would this community be like if, if we did this, if we spent time alone with God in His Word each day and then we came together on, on Sunday mornings or, or in our communities or our men's or women's groups or life groups? Wouldn't that affect us? Wouldn't that shape us and, and change who we are together? This is a, a conviction that we are built upon, the Word of God. And so, church, let's read the Bible in humility, in context, and in community. And we've got a great opportunity to do this together starting next week. Next Sunday and for seven weeks, we're going to be studying the book of Ecclesiastes together as a church. And so during the next seven weeks, you can start today. Let's read the book of Ecclesiastes together. Read it for yourself. Especially if you've never read it before, this is a great time to read the Bible as we study it together on Sunday mornings. If you've read it before, maybe read a new translation Try reading it out loud or, or listening to it. You can join me. I'm going to try journaling. I'm going to try to write out the entire book of Ecclesiastes as I'm reading through it and as Matt teaches us through it. Let's do this together. Grace, let's spend the next seven weeks together reading God's Word as a church. Would you join us? I'm excited. I really am. The Word of God, it's God-breathed, it equips us for life, and it points us to Christ. So let's read it together. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for who you are. Father, we come before you uh, humbly. God, we, we thank you for who you are and, and for the gift of your Son, God, thank you for loving us. God, thank you for giving us your words so that we would know you, that we could know you better, so that we could know you well. God, I pray that as we as individuals and as a church approach your word, we would learn more and more about who you are and who you've created us to be. God, I pray that your words would convict us. They would draw us closer to you God, I pray for us as, as we enter the season of, of studying the book of Ecclesiastes together, and I pray that you would uh, reveal to us truth, truth for us as individuals and as a church. So, Father, we love you, we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen.